and welcome to The Two Dyspraxics. I'm Barbara Neal. And I'm Matthew Munson. Today we're going to talk about assessments for dyspraxia and how accessible they are. So Matthew, how did you come to have an assessment for dyspraxia? Um, well, it's kind of your fault actually, Barbara. I'm going to blame you for this. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one of the few times that I can, so I'm going to know in a good way. In a good way. So I, I can't remember the full connection to it, but um, you, at the time you were working um, with a, a Kent-based dyspraxia group, um, and the, sort of the person running it was training or, you, you know, wanted to try and train other professionals you know, T's, et cetera, to uh, officially diagnose dyspraxia. So she was looking for sort of guinea pigs, as it were, um, to be the assessment tools, (laughs) if you will, for (laughs) these other people. Um, She didn't say it like that, to be fair to her. Um, And so I was one of the people that that went along. Now, that kind of quite appealed to me because... It was um, yeah, essentially, you know, they, they said we can get a free assessment uh, right. out of it, um, <clears throat> you know, and, and these guys were going to go off and, you know, do these assessments in their private practice, etc. For mm-hmm. so I think at the time it was, I don't know, six, six hundred and six, six hundred, six hundred and fifty quid, something like that. I think something like that. So I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. I was probably in my mid mid to late twenties, I think, at that point, and. I'd known I was dyspraxic for probably about 15, 10, 15 years at that point, but, you know, the school had never done a diagnosis for me, uh, or it, maybe it wasn't available, but I'd never got one through the school. And so, you know, I, of course, I immediately went, well, of course, I'll, of course I'll go along. You know, it was in Faversham. Why wouldn't I just give up a day or half a day in exchange for getting a diagnosis, which potentially could help me in later life? Um, so it was... Yeah, I mean, we, there was a kind of a group of us in there, and and the um, the woman who was running it, we sort of all listened to her talking to the occupational therapists, etc., for a while first. So she was telling them what to look out for, you know, the the, the signs, etc. Um, a couple of points she was making, I'm thinking, I don't really recognise that as being something that I know as a dyspraxic person, but okay. Um, <laughs> And then yeah, so then and then I had to spend maybe thirty to forty-five minutes being assessed by this very lovely OT. I, I, I'm mortified actually. I can't remember the lady's name, but she she did it brilliantly. Um, and I got this long diagnosis um, <laughs> after a bit afterwards. Right. Um, and it, yeah, it really, I, I, I wouldn't have preferred to afford it privately if if had me for that. Right, can I just point out at this stage that an OT, for anyone who isn't aware, is an occupational therapist. Oh, sorry, yeah, 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 it does like the physical side of it. And, and I think I think if I remember, yes, you're quite right, Barbara, because I think the person running the tra- training session, I think she was kind of focusing this training on occupational therapists, but it's not only occupational therapists who can officially diagnose dyspraxia. Absolutely. I think that's one of the problems with diagnosing dyspraxia because it can be diagnosed by an occupational therapist, obviously, or um, a neurologist 
or a paediatrician, mm-hmm. I believe, can um, diagnose dyspraxia. And there are others, aren't there? Psychologists? Yes. Fun enough, I think, I think you, you know, that catch-all term therapist, whether it's physical and uh, mental health therapist, I think, yeah, any type of therapist in that sense can, can, diagnose, can diagnose you. Yeah. Um, I think personally is quite problematic because you're only getting that part of the picture. You're not getting mm. a, a comprehensive diagnosis. So that's something well, that we've felt quite strongly about for some time, isn't it? That a yes. comprehensive diagnosis is really needed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and to, to this day, you know, you know, the diagnosis I had, and again, I want this, you know, I'm sure this has come across, but this isn't a criticism of the OT that did my diagnosis because my diagnosis was purely focused on my physical issues with my dys- dyspraxia now that's fine because I, I have got physical issues with my dyspraxia I, I, my, my balance my coordination my fine motor skills etc that's all di- that's all all to do with it but there's more than that you know you know there's there's the neurological side of it you know how I think how I process information and of course she couldn't assess that because she has no um expertise and knowledge in that area you know um so yeah so what you're saying that that comprehensive assessment i don't know how you do it you you have to kind of coordinate it very well um it doesn't exist there was a comprehensive dyspraxia diagnosis exactly it would have to be multidisciplinary so Mm. and there no it doesn't exist and i think it's high time it did i think um dyspraxia is kind of lagging behind all sorts of other conditions like dyslexia, for example, which is much better known and um, much better understood than dyspraxia because of the things that you say. And I think a lot of people just see dyspraxia as the physical attributes, if you like, mm. of, rather than understanding that um, processing, thought processing is very different for a mm. person um, from the way it is for a neurotypical person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, again, that's, that's part part of the sort of the complication, I think, that when you've got these assessments and for, for what little is known about the assessments in the wider public sphere, I think it's then all, all tied into a, phys- a physicality because that's the obvious part of our condition. Yeah. And actually people don't necessarily realise that we're also neurodivergent, that we think maybe in a slightly different way. Yeah, it doesn't mean that we can't think, but we we think and process sometimes differently. Um, and I think that's 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 the issue with it that that people are only getting one side of the story. Absolutely, yeah. and do you? I don't know if this is a slight digression, really, but um, I don't know if you find the same thing as me. That um, I had an experience the other day where I had my it was my work tablet, which um, I think probably the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Technology, oh, you know, some technology is good, some not so good. But this particular tablet, I was trying to do something with it, and there was somebody who was not lit. Well, yeah, I suppose she was looking over my shoulder, and she was saying, "You press this, you press that." I know what to press, but it takes yeah. me a bit longer to process it. So I find if there's someone, um, I'm doing something that I know how to do, you know, but because it takes me a little bit longer, I've got somebody who's telling me what to do is like, you know don't tell me how to use my own equipment because yes you know that I find desperately frustrating but that's where some of the neurological processes come in to play you know so although they can see the physical side of it but that's when my that old label of slow comes back to bite me you know and and I really detested that when I was younger very, very much though yeah very very much though and I, and I think that's 
you know, that does still fit in that stereotype of what dyspraxic people are, you know, that we're stupid, that we're slow. Um, And and again, I think the two are connected. You know, if you say that you, you you know, you're you're stupid, you're slow, this is is how your dyspraxia manifests itself, then you're going to do assessments to test for that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. You know, it's chicken and the egg. How do you change the perception of what dyspraxia is without a more wide-ranging assessment how do you do a more wide-ranging assessment until you change the culture about recognising what dyspraxia actually is? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what about you, though? Because I know yours was your assessment was kind of attached to your to your son's, wasn't it, when he was diagnosed? Well, yes and no. I mean, um, it, well, that was my own assessment, really, because um, when he was... It was like pushing treacle up a hill to get him an assessment to start with. It was really difficult because the primary school he was at, there was one teacher who was supportive and the rest, you know, it was just really difficult. And it didn't happen in the end. Mm. He wasn't wasn't formally assessed at that stage. It wasn't until he went to secondary school that he was formally assessed. But his primary school teacher, who was supportive, gave me a questionnaire and... um, to see, right, how what happens at home, you know, with all these different things. And when I was going through it, I thought, well, I do that. And I do this. You know, so the conclusion was that, well, I never, I'm dyspraxic too. <laughs> no idea. And that was a revelation to me because um, then I was able to go back over various difficulties I had over the years and explain them. So, so in that respect, having that label was really useful, I thought. Um, but... I was formally diagnosed. It was years after that. It must have been about 17. I think I worked it out once. It was about 17 years later. Mm. And that's because um, at the time I was going to the job centre, I wanted to start my own business as a hypnotherapist. And um, I was I was qualified, but I felt kind of reticent. 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 <laughs> I a new word there. <laughs> I was quite reticent about... Um, starting the business because I didn't really have the confidence. I needed um, a bit of support, I suppose, really. Mm. So um, I was attending the job centre and I discovered that the people at the job centre, I don't know if this is still the case, so I hope nobody's going to quote me on this, (laughs) but they apparently the job centre, I don't know what they're called, the interviewers, um, oh, like the yeah, I think they're called like coaches now or something. Yeah, they, but um, but they had a fund that they could access to help people to on their way, you know, to get a job or um, start a business or whatever was appropriate. Mm. So they had this fund that they could access, and I discovered this. So I mentioned it, <laughs> and um, I said, "Look, you know, I would really." Um, like to start my own business and explained the whole situation. I said, I am dyspraxic, but I've never had a formal diagnosis. And so she said, um, well, there is access to work, so that's a possibility, but you would need to have a diagnosis first. So I looked into how much it would cost. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so and my hair started curling straight away because <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and I didn't have that sort of money. So um, she said, okay, well, don't tell anyone else, but, yeah, I'm sure we can access this funding. So I left it with her. She was actually, I have to say, I just have to go back a little bit because I had an appointment to go and see someone at the job centre 
on that particular day. Mm. But dyspraxia being as it is, I convinced myself that my appointment was half an hour later than it actually was. Oh, no. <laughs> so when I got there, they said, well, you're half an hour late. So I said, no, I'm sure. I'm... So I said, well, you're... they fortunately managed to put me with this, this different woman and she had a dyslexic daughter, so she was kind of on board straight away. So I think right. I'm very fortunate that that happened. But she accessed the funding and um, for me to have my diagnosis, and I think it, it was about £500 at the time, so a lot of money. And um, so that's how I got my diagnosis. And then because of that, I was able to get access to work, which really helped, and that gave me the confidence I needed and there was another organization um called I don't know if this is still around because this is a long time ago I'm talking about but mm. they were called Enham E-N-H-A-M and um they were able to help as well with funding and with coaching for starting a business because I had that diagnosis so having mm -hmm. a diagnosis can really help people it's just such a pain that they're so difficult to get yeah I think you know that's, that's that is the problem it, it shouldn't it just feels like it shouldn't be this much of a problem or a hassle to get a diagnosis that then helps you to get what you need as an individual to, to be your best self yeah absolutely you, you know why why is it so bureaucratic why is all this still a problem and why is it expensive as well because um something that occurred to me i started looking into how much these um, people in different disciplines charge to make an assessment. And that amazed me because the cheapest I found was from a physiotherapist who was charging £50. Mm. And the most expensive was £900. <sighs> you know, so there's absolutely no rhyme nor reason to it. That is just, that is incredible. And uh, like you said earlier, who could ever be able to afford that kind of price? Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's just so wrong that to have something diagnosed, which is, um, I mean, I, I, I feel kind of torn on this score because if we view it as a medical condition, which it isn't, it's a, it's a neurological difference. It's mm. not something, well, it is a condition, but it's not something that um, can be cured or that we would want to be cured because there's nothing wrong with us. Absolutely. Difference. But... Um, Using the medical model of disability, why is it that we don't get our our um, diagnosis for free, as other diagnoses happen? So, Absolutely. Yeah, so I don't agree with the medical model. So this is why I feel torn, really, because I don't agree with the medical model. I think um, a social model of disability is far more realistic. So... Yeah. But if we are stuck with a medical model, albeit for the time being, why do we still have to pay for a diagnosis that other people with other conditions will get for free? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's I find that really frustrating because we shouldn't we shouldn't be um, incentivizing financial gain for you know just individuals. Yeah. You, you know this this is about more than people getting paid. A shed load of money for uh, uh, yeah, granted a, a complex assessment by a professional who deserves recognition for their professional qualifications. Yeah, but does that really involve a very large quantity of money in the process? No, it shouldn't. No. Um, 
you know, we're meant to have a national health service free at the point of access. Either we do or we don't. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, and okay, there are exemptions and, and you know, there's always, there's always a case to be made for everything. But an, ass- an assessment for somebody with a neurological difference can make a huge amount of difference uh, uh, in their lives. Yeah. It really can. Absolutely. And um, that's why I think, you know, with our, our dyspraxia group on Facebook, um, which is just called Dyspraxia, incidentally, for anyone who wants to find it. Mm. And it's a very supportive, helpful and friendly group. But, um, and I've lost my thread now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do that a lot. Um, yes, I think um, we are very inclusive. So if someone believes they have dyspraxia, that's fine. You know, they can still join that group because um, I think we both understand the difficulties involved in getting an assessment to start with. So, I mean, I knew I was dyspraxic beyond doubt. It was just yeah. formalising it when I had my assessment. And I think the same was true for you, wasn't it? Yeah, well, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it made so much sense when I, when I was first told of this word and I read about it, you know, Matt Kirby's brilliant book, and I thought, this is me. And, and for myself, I didn't need an assessment to tell me what I already knew. Yeah. Um, like you, I couldn't have afforded it in any other way. But when I was offered it, as it were, on a plate, and I was one of the lucky ones who I got that, of course I was going to jump at it because I didn't know when or where that could come in useful, you know, in, in my life. You know, I could show them this bit of paper, this report, and say... Yep, I'm just back to it. And actually, in, in a way, it is useful for me because if I, on the times I've started a new job since I've had that report, you know, with the Equality Act that came in and, and all the other legislation around disability discrimination, you know, I, I would always tick the box on the form to say, you know, yeah, I have a disability, even though I don't see it as a disability like you, it's a difference. I, mm-hmm. it's, it, everything's clumped, clumped onto disability, so I'll just tick the box and I put a disability. I put dyspraxia, and I always then I always then include a photocopy of the first sheet of my um, dyspraxia assessment, so yeah. they've got it on file, so they can see it's because that is seen as more um, I don't know what the word is more authoritative than yeah. just take my word for it. Yeah, you know, I know I'm dyspraxic, so just believe me. You yeah, know, some people don't. Some employers will go, I'm not going to believe that. You know, just because you're telling me, but a bit of paper carries more weight sometimes exactly yeah and um i took an exam um years ago many years ago now and um it was before i had the formal diagnosis Mm. and it was a very practical exam because um i took a course as a massage therapist and in my naivety i thought it would be easy yeah right you know until (laughs) learning anatomy and physiology as well yeah but um and it's because it's a very practical course and the exam, when the exam time came around, um, we had to, there, there was a lot to remember, a lot to be doing at once. So you have to look after your own posture. You have to remember the routine in the right sequence. You have to remember the different kinds of moves. And then we were told that the external examiner would come around and ask us questions while we're working. And I said, how many marks is that worth? Because I'll, I'll just abandon, I'll sacrifice yeah. those marks. So there is no way I'll be able to do all of those things and answer questions. So fortunately for me, 
the um, external examiner because I hadn't been formally diagnosed at that time, as I say, you know, but the external examiner agreed to ask me my questions afterwards. But, right. but my tutor had said to me, do you have a piece of paper that says you're dyspraxic? And I said, well, actually, no, I don't. So I thought maybe I should get one of these pieces of paper. And especially when um, I really wanted to start my business as um, a hypnotherapist as well. So the two things happened kind of side by side. So that's when I decided to seek an assessment. But the whole process of finding someone to carry out an assessment was problematic as well, because um, I had to look on the Dyspraxia Foundation website and they, their first port of call was to go to the GP. So I went to the GP, never heard of dyspraxia, <laughs> so I didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. And the response I got was pretty much, well, you've managed this long, you know, why do you need? So, okay, you know, so that was really just hard going. So I ended up doing all my own research as per usual and uh, and found someone who could diagnose it for me and contacted her. Right. So, um, but, I mean, that's, that was difficult as well. So I think if people even get as far as finding someone who can carry out a diagnosis for them, they're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. How higher the situation is. You know, it's, I think it's it's different as an adult than it is as a child. Yes. You, you yes. know, it's... Because as soon as you're out in the big, wide world, that's it, run your own life, you're in charge of it all now, you can deal with it. Okay, but I need some help. Prove yeah. it. Yeah, the proving yeah. needs some help. I can't because I haven't got the better paper. Let me get the better paper. Okay, pay 600 quid. I can't because I can't earn the money until I've got the support. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a circular argument. Yeah, it's very, very difficult, certainly. And um, as a, a slight aside, actually, um, I'm thinking about other things that you can access if you have dyspraxia, theoretically. And I'm thinking in terms of um, that time when you... It was really as an exercise as much as anything, just to see if it worked. When mm. you applied for um, PIP personal independence payments, which have superseded the DLA, which was Disabled Living Allowance, I believe, mm. isn't it? Yeah. That process was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. Oh, I mean, we were, I think we could laugh about it now, but, um, but to go through that trauma, um, because Matthew decided to apply for it just really to see if it was possible to get it. Mm. And really and truly as dyspraxic people of course we should because as we've already said you know there are certain things that we do need support from you know we we support for I beg your pardon so so we could really that would help that would yeah. help considerably and um I remember I went along as your companion and the very first thing that happened when we got there was the receptionist was when we got there for your assessment for PIP you know, specifically for Pip, the receptionist was directing all of her questions at me as your companion. So, <laughs> so I, I said, well, he can actually speak. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. so, then, so then when she said, um, well, does he do so-and-so? So I'd just say very pointedly to Matthew, yeah, do you do so-and-so, Matthew? <laughs> and then made the point of him telling me. And that was, so we had a whole conversation like that, which was, well, it would have been excruciatingly embarrassing if it wasn't, you know, if we weren't able to see the funny side. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, I, I could, uh, a little, a tiny part of me at that moment almost wanted to go, huh? What? <laughs> yeah. huh? Yes. It, just to play along. 
just play on with that, that, that role she clearly was expecting me to play. Yeah, that was appalling. So that was a very, very bad start, wasn't it? Mm. Then um, we quizzed the assessor on their knowledge of dyspraxia. Ah, yes, yes, I, I've studied dyspraxia. So, uh, frankly, I found that incredibly hard to believe. I've oh, yeah, I've uh, based on their on the report they'd written afterwards that, that, that we saw, I thought, well, if if, if you if you studied dyspraxia, you clearly dozed off in the lessons, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. So that was um, doomed to failure, really, but yeah. an interesting experience, nevertheless. And it was it was a depressing experience, you, you know, and, and, and like, like you said, I mean, this is sort of the point, but, you know, for me, you know, we can speak up for ourselves, you and I, you know, and actually, I found it fairly intimidating going on. I mean, I got you going on with my mate who was going on just to kind of remind me of things. I, I did forget things in the assessment that I would have completely not said if it hadn't been for you going, Matthew, don't forget that, don't forget this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I'm a relatively average, normally, normally intelligent, you know, person in my 30s, even as I was then, you know, what about somebody who not only has dyspraxia but many other complications as well, who hasn't got anybody to support them, to remind them, to get them to this assessment centre, wherever it may be, and just to kind of give them that that holding hand that they need. You know, I I, I wouldn't want to don't go through that by myself, even now, I don't think. You know, no. I'm 39 and I've, I hold down a job and I'm a father to a son and all this. I still wouldn't want to do that by myself. It's intimidating. Yeah, it is. It's um, intimidating, but especially when there's such a lack of understanding, lack of appreciation of the kind of things that we're facing as dyspraxic people. So, yes. so there needs to be an awful lot of work done in that field as well, you know, yeah. providing so-called support. You know, as it happens, evidently, according to that particular assessment, you don't need any support whatsoever, do you, Matthew? No, I'm I'm clearly fine. I'm I have no problems at all. I'm completely neurotypical, and my assessment is clearly wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but isn't it interesting that it can be so different? That the yeah, the assessment that I had all those years ago clearly says Matthew has dyspraxia. He has issues with this, 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 and this. As far as she could diagnose, because she was focused on the physical side, and so yeah, Matthew has issues with this, 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 and this. And then, you know, some years later, this, this PIP assessor goes, no, nope, you're fine. Yeah, it's assessment with anything. Help with anything. Yeah. Think, Hang on, I haven't changed since that initial assessment, yeah. apart, from, apart from ageing a little bit and being a few years older. That, that's it. That's the only difference. Well, that's, that's the other thing, of course. You know, if, if we're dyspraxic, we are dyspraxic for life. It's not something mm. that's going to suddenly change. No, it doesn't change. You can learn coping strategies, but even that, yeah, as we've discussed before, I think several times, um, as we age, so the coping strategies themselves become more difficult to deal with. You know, it's it's more tiring. It's more, it's just generally more difficult. So I think the only changes that we undergo are changes for the worse rather than changes for the better when you reach adulthood certainly yeah, I think you know that the person who you are diagnosed as being or the person that you know you are if you if you haven't got the assessment you still are 10 years later 20 years later I mean I am still fundamentally dyspraxic in exactly the same way as when I have my first assessment I don't need to be reassessed to tell me that nothing's changed in my assessment process um my life has changed. Yeah. My, my assessment hasn't. No. You know, and, and no. I think 
I think people don't appreciate that. So do, do we have any positives to come out of this discussion? Um, have struggling, it, struggling yeah. to any, to be honest with you. I think that's how dire the situation is. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, I think have, having an assessment is good, but how do we get to the point where assessments are normal, a, a normal part of the process? Oh, we think you're dyspraxic, let's get you in for the assessment tomorrow, let's get it done, and then let's see what helps out there for you, and then get you the help. You know, yeah. it, and it, make make sure the assessments are accessible to people because that's such a discriminating set of circumstances. You know, if they're so expensive or they only cover one aspect of dyspraxia, it's really not good enough and mm. badly needs to change. Yeah, and, and how how do we change that? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're raising these questions and these points. I haven't got an answer. I know we haven't got an answer to to, to come up to on that yet, but. Something well, needs to change. It certainly does, and I think we can invite any suggestions from anyone who can hear this and has any positive, practical suggestions they can put forward. I think we'd be absolutely delighted to hear them, wouldn't we? Agreed. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's time that we did speak up collectively together as a group of people with that one shared uh, thing. You know, we're we're, we're a diverse population. You know, we're, we're old, we're young, we're black, we're white, male, female, gay and straight. But we all have this this newer divergence. It's time we all came together for that, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think that's yeah. a fairly happy note to end on. Yes, let's stick on that. <laughs> it's slightly positive. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. That'll so do. on that fairly happy note, yeah. Yeah. it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from her. Bye. Bye.